This morning we are going to continue in Genesis, um, but we are skipping ahead just a little bit. Um, I posted on the Facebook group this uh, week um, a sermon that I preached about a year ago here, which covered uh, Genesis 29, 31 through 30, 24, the story of Rachel and Leah and their competing pregnancies. Um, they battle back and forth, as one uh, commentator calls it, dueling pregnancies. They go back and forth battling, trying to have more children, trying to earn the favor of Jacob. Um, so if you want to um, pick up that sermon and see what um, I'm skipping over, that's still available there. It's also posted on the website under the sermons section. Uh, but to kind of recap of what has happened as we head into this next uh, section of Jacob's life. Jacob is on a journey, and we get to see his journey as he starts out being someone incredibly deceptive, manipulative, lying, cheating, stealing to get what he wants, um, even to get what God has promised to him. He takes things into his own hands, and through that, he ends up needing to having to leave home because his brother's threatening to kill him. And he travels to his uncle's house, some 500 miles away, for protection and also to find a wife. And while he is away from home, these 20 years plus that he spends away from his parents, God does a work in his heart and changes him. He finds a woman that he wants to marry and strikes a deal with his uncle for her hand in marriage, only to be deceived by his uncle using some of the same schemes and lies and manipulation that he employed on others. And as he begins to recognize and see the pain that deception and lies cause and the wreckage that we leave behind when we don't trust in God, Jacob has a change of heart. As he's on his way to his uncle's house, he encounters God and says, when you bring me back and you give me all these things, then you'll be my God. But now Jacob is starting to recognize that God is with him, that God is blessing in him, and he begins to serve God. This is why he can respond to his wife, Rachel, when she comes and says, give me children or else I'll die. He says, it is the Lord that opens and closes the womb. I can't do anything about it. God is in control. And he recognizes that. And so Rachel and Leah go back and forth, competing for children. It's really a one-sided battle. Leah having all the children, Rachel employing schemes of getting her servant to bear children as a surrogate on her behalf until finally Rachel lets go of control and God blesses her and gives her Joseph. So this is where we pick up our story. And now Jacob is going to once again face some opposition, some things standing in the way of his blessing, and we're going to see how he responds to that. So we are picking up the life of Jacob in Genesis 30, starting in verse 25. So Jacob is still serving his uncle Laban, and he is ready to move on to the next season of life. So verse 25 says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given to you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. 
Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will, do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats. They shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come and look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed all the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, he put them into the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured or pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Once again, Laban is up to his old tricks. Lying, deceiving, manipulating to get what he wants. So as we start out, Jacob is ready to go home. He has been away from his parents at least 14 years at this point, And he is ready to go back to his home. Um, this was supposed to be a short journey. He was supposed to go away for a little while to let his brother cool down, find a wife, and then come back home. Here we are 14 years later. He's still there. So he comes to Laban and says, let me go. I've served you for 14 years as I promised for, these, for my two wives. So now that I've done this, let me go. Let me have my wives that you promised to me and all of the children and let me return home. But Laban doesn't want him to go. Part of the promise that God gave to Jacob when he met with him as he was on his way to his uncle's house is that through Jacob would other families be blessed. And Laban is experiencing this firsthand. Laban does not want him to go anywhere. It's kind of my prayer that this would be me, like wherever I go to work, that I would come and I would work hard and that the employers wouldn't want me to go because they see that I work hard as for the Lord. And that's what Laban sees with Jacob. This is a faithful, hard worker and his flocks have flourished because of the blessing of the Lord that is in his life. Now Laban says something interesting. He says that he learned by divination that the Lord was blessing him. We don't know how he divined this or what sort of means he had of inquiring. Um, What we do know is what else the Bible has to say about this word divination that shows up here. It also shows up a little bit later with Joseph. And Joseph says, this is the means that I found out that there was um, a cup that was stolen or stolen by his brothers when they came to visit. And Jacob really knew all along because he put it there. But then we get into the law and Leviticus uh, 19.26, it is explicitly prohibited for God's people to practice divination. What Laban is doing here is something that is not of God. It is something that is against God. 
whether or not he actually practiced divination or this was just one of his schemes in order to get Jacob to stay. And so he throws around some lies in order to get Jacob to stick around. Laban wants him there. It's also interesting that through divination, something against God, he learns what God has actually been doing all along. He sees what God has been doing amongst Jacob and blessing him through Jacob. So Laban makes his counter offer. Laban's famous phrase is, name your wages. It's kind of like, let's make a deal, except for it's always rotten with Laban. This is the same thing he comes to him when Jacob begins working and says, name your wages. You shouldn't work for me for free. And so Jacob says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. Laban agrees to these wages and then changes them at the wedding. Name your wages. This should have been Jacob's first clue. Things aren't going to go well. Laban also offers to give something to Jacob. So not only name your wages, but he says, what shall I give you? And Jacob wants nothing to be given to him. He wants to work for everything. This is very similar to what we saw with Abraham when the king of Sodom comes and offers him the spoils of war. Abraham does not want to be made rich by the gifts of wicked men. And Jacob, his grandson, is the exact same way. He does not want Laban to say, I made you rich. I have leverage over you. Jacob is trusting God to provide. And so in verse 31, when Laban says, what shall I give you? Jacob responds that you shall give me nothing. You shall not give me anything. Jacob is willing to earn what will be his. So Jacob makes this proposal. And we start getting into all these fun spotted and speckled sheep, which we're all, you know, avid understanding. We have an avid understanding of sheep and how they work and where the spotted and speckled ones come from, right? Yes. <laughs> Those of you that have done ghosts and other animals in farming, we're experts. We know exactly what Jacob is trying to say. Now, it's a little bit confusing. Jacob has spent 14 years full-time tending to this herd. And what he asks for is... The spotted and speckled, these are the abnormal sheep. If you remember genetics from high school or studying Punnett squares and recessive and dominant genes, in this culture, the white sheep would have been the dominant one. So 80 plus percent of the sheep would have been white. Jacob is just asking for a small percentage of those that look different. Jacob's willing to take these and Laban's ready to agree. He's willing to give the small portion of his flock to Jacob to tend to. Jacob, like Abraham again, makes an offer of the lesser. When Abraham had the opportunity to choose for himself if he wanted the land that was lush and green and to give Lot the land that didn't seem as profitable for tending sheep, Abraham humbled himself and allowed Lot to choose. And Lot chose the greater. Abraham took what appeared to be the lesser. And here Jacob does the same thing. He offers to take the lesser portion. Even though it says that when he came, Lot had very little, but now he has abundant. Jacob could come there and be like, I'm really responsible for your entire herd. I'm going to take the 80%. 
because this 11%, 10%, whatever over here, 20% that you had, that's what you started with before I came. The rest, this is all my work, so give it all to me. That's not what Jacob does. He humbles himself and says, I'll take the smaller portion. And Laban agrees. And then Laban begins deceiving. As soon as this agreement is struck, Laban removes all the spotted, the speckled sheep from the herd, takes them away three days' journey. Jacob knows that if you want more spotted and speckled sheep, you need to breed spotted and speckled sheep and goats. But without spotted and speckled, it's really hard to get more spotted and speckled. Laban takes away everything that Jacob needs to be profitable. Everything that he could possibly need to succeed, Laban takes it away. So Jacob has a choice to make. How is he going to respond to this opposition? As I'm talking about Laban, you might say, I have a Laban in my life. I recognize that move. I have been in that situation before. We all have Labans that come into our lives at different seasons and cause great opposition or difficulty to us. It could be a boss or a coworker who undermines your work. If you haven't experienced that frustration of spending like 8, 10, 12 hours on something, just laboring so hard, and then to have somebody come by, either intentionally or unintentionally, and just wipe it all away, it can be one of the most frustrating things in life. Or to have a boss that asks you to go above and beyond but does not give you what you need to succeed in your job and asks more of you than what he is willing to equip you for. We face opposition in work, but not just work, in life in general. If you think, has there ever been a time where you've had a wonderful family gathering and then one family member decides to start complaining or grumbling and it just turns the entire thing on its side. And everybody seems to catch this complaining bug, and it, it ruins everything. There's even, not just people, but sometimes circumstances seem to oppose us in what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, what we feel like is the next phase in life. And as those living in Lima, we understand this best in the form of trains. You have a goal, a place you want to be, and there is the opposition, the train standing in the way. Now, I grew up in Lima, and I, like, you kind of get used to it when you're here for so long. You're just like, yeah, that's just part of life. You deal with it. When I was living in Dallas for three years, they have a public transit system that is mostly above ground, and that's the only place that you really encounter train tracks is when these um, transit trains will come through. And the most I ever got stuck at one of those was like 30 seconds. It amazed me. It was like, it was not this big frustration of like, oh no, I need to find another path. I need to find, where's the nearest overpass? Or where can I get around this track? It was like, okay, I'll just wait for 30 seconds and then I'll go because here this little train is going to go and be gone. Not in Lima. It's like a 15 minute delay sometimes. And I think in our lives we experience these trains, these things that where we have a goal, someplace that we want to go, and something is standing in our way, and there doesn't seem to be any way around it. It might be people, circumstances, um, but it can be frustrating. If you just think of your response when you see the blinking lights and the arms start to descend from the train, 
And then recognize where else do you feel that way in life? Where do you feel opposition coming in? And Jacob has that opposition. He has Laban, the train, standing in his way, keeping him from accomplishing, from providing for his family. This is really what Jacob wants. He wants to be able to build his own herd. He doesn't have hardly any possessions, so he wants to be able to accumulate some amount of wealth so he can provide for his family and go. So Jacob responds, starting in verse 37, with some pretty interesting practices. So would you read along with me, starting in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flocks, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. And everybody understands the application from this. It's very clear what we need to go and do from now on. Um, No, this is one of the more confusing and bewildering passages, not just in Genesis, but in all of Scripture, so much so that most commentators say, we have no idea what Jacob is doing. It doesn't make any sense. The one tie-in that we get is that there is clearly some folklore or old wives' tale about the way that what the sheep and the goats would be seeing when they're mating would impact the way that they brought forth their young. This is really similar to what we saw, um, what happens in the previous chapter when Rachel and Leah are arguing over mandrakes, which is a plant that they believe to have some mythical power to be able to allow Rachel to become pregnant. Even though it doesn't have any power or ability, there's something that they're believing that this is going to equip either Rachel to get pregnant or these sheep and goats to bring forth a certain type of young. We'll find out later what's actually going on in the process of this all. Um, But right now, one thing we see about Jacob is that he remains a man of integrity. He upholds his end of the deal. He could have said, okay, Laban, that wasn't part of the deal. You took all that I needed to breed flocks of my own away from me, so I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm going to leave after I promised you that I would work for you. No, he is a man of integrity. He doesn't leave. He doesn't fight back. Instead, he continues to work hard. And so it says in verse 36, right before this entire passage about his animal husbandry practices, that Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Jacob starts out pasturing a flock that is completely not his own. He serves Laban. He humbles himself and works hard. These are not his sheep that he starts out with. They are Laban's Sheep. In fact, there's an ironic wordplay going on in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for, for white is Laban or Laban. 
And so Laban's sheep are the sheep that are Laban, are white. So he starts out with Laban's sheep, and he works hard caring for these sheep that aren't his. And he uses some creative methods to get some speckled and spotted animals. Um, just going based off genetics and the way things work, odds are that in a flock of completely white, you would have one speckled and spotted sheep or goat for every 11 white that is born from a herd of completely white. So first generation of breeding, Jacob is not going to get a lot of return for his investment. But what we see is that God is at work alongside of Jacob. Jacob works hard in honesty and integrity and upholds his end of the deal. And God allows the sheep to bring forth those that were promised to Jacob. And then Jacob begins, once he has these spotted and speckled, he intentionally starts breeding with those to create a stronger flock, a stronger herd for himself. So he's not just sitting back and being like, okay, I'm just going to wait for God to take care of this. He is actively involved, working hard, and at the same point, we'll find out that he is trusting God the entire step of the way, and he understands that it is God that is going to bless him in the amount of herd, in the herd that he has. This is how Jacob responds to opposition. He shows that he's a man of integrity and perseverance. So how do we respond to our opposition in life? And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I have a specific opposition that I'm facing right now. There's something either at work or at home or in a relationship that is just extremely difficult. How are you responding? Are you responding in integrity and perseverance? This calls me to look at Jesus in the life that he lived as he faced a lot of opposition. And, and we see his response the entire way that he doesn't fight back. He speaks the truth in love. And he lets people know when they're um, deceived and when they're going astray from God. But he doesn't fight back. He doesn't fight fire with fire. He doesn't try to put others down. And in fact, when he faces the greatest opposition, he's betrayed by Judas. He goes willingly to the cross. Colossians 1.11 is a prayer that Paul prays for the saints. And it's a prayer that I have recently started praying for myself. This says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul's prayer for the Colossians here is that they would be strengthened. That they would have... Um, the strength with all power, the Greek word dunamis, which means the ability to do something. He is praying that they would be strengthened with the ability for all endurance and patience with joy. And that this power comes from God, from God's glorious might. So it is God's glorious might that comes and gives us the ability to persevere and to endure and not to do it begrudgingly or just to get through, but to do it with joy. And so when we face opposition... Let me challenge us to respond like Jacob, like Jesus, with integrity and perseverance, with joy. But this isn't something that we can muster up within us. We can't get it together on our own. God is the one working behind the scenes, even though it might not seem. So let's continue reading. And in chapter 31, Jacob begins to tell his wives what is happening behind the scenes that we didn't see at first and how God is at work. 
So Genesis 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that is our father's, and from what was our father's he gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped will be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. He said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. God gives Jacob some clear direction now. At first, Jacob was just setting out on his own. He desired to go back to his home, but now God is calling him, saying, Go to the land of your fathers. Again, Jacob is paralleling Abraham as Abraham received the call to go to the land that was promised. Now Jacob is receiving the same call to go from the land of Padanaram to the land of Canaan. Jacob's conversation reveals what he understood was happening the entire time that these sheep and these goats were mating. In verse 5, he says that the God of my father has been with me. This was God's promise. God's promise all along that he would be with him. He also says in verse 7 that God did not permit Laban to harm him. It wasn't something that Jacob did that protected him. God was there all along. And in verse 9, he wraps everything up that has been happening in the past years and says, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. This wasn't Jacob stealing, Jacob getting, Jacob deceiving. This was God blessing Jacob as he had promised and taking away the abundance of a deceitful man and giving it to God's chosen man, Jacob. And in verses 11 through 13, we see that the angel of God reveals and shows us. This is how Jacob knows. He sees it in a dream. So he knows that God is at work. He knows that God was moving, but it wasn't God working and Jacob sitting back. In verse 6, he tells his wives that he has served their father, Laban, with all his strength. So there's this tension of God working, God bringing the blessing, and also Jacob working hard in integrity. Jacob worked hard and God provided the increase. God didn't only provide for Jacob, he also provides for Rachel and Leah. 
their father's greed and frivolity caused him to spend all of their inheritance. Jacob had worked for 14 years for Laban and had grown his flock, and yet Rachel and Leah had nothing to show for it. Their father had spent it all, squandered it all, and used it for his own benefit. And now God is taking wealth from Laban and giving it to Rachel and Leah, even when their own father wouldn't give it to them. But instead, he treated them as foreigners. So as we face opposition, we must remember and circle back, focusing on the fact that God is working, even though we might not see it. And God shows us to Jacob that he's working, and God is working in our opposition, even when we can't see him. And so I want to close out by talking about the ways that we tend to respond to opposition, and then how we can see the example of Jacob and also of Christ to respond appropriately. So there's four ways that we kind of revert towards when we face opposition, ways that we respond out of our flesh. These are we fight or we flight, we freeze or we flail. So in fighting, we try to hurt the person that is in opposition against us. In our training example, this is the equivalent of trying to ram the train to get through. Um, We fight back. We use whatever means necessary to bring them down, to get them out of our way, and we take action into our own hands. That is one of the ways that we tend to respond. The other one is flight. This is the temptation for Jacob is when... He faces his opposition. He can just leave. He would be breaking his word to Laban to work for him, but he could just get up and go. But he doesn't do that. And we can want to remove ourselves from situations with difficult opposition. That is one thing that is, it's, just the, it's almost the easiest way out. When things get hard, just walk away irregardless of what God is calling us to do. Or another tendency that we might have is to freeze. We allow the opposition to define us and we just shut down. We don't engage, we don't have conversations, we just sit there and don't do anything. We play the role of the victim and say, woe is me, I'm in this situation, there's nothing that can be done. We don't even turn to God for help, we just assume that we are stuck. The final response is to flail. This is like a flight response in that there is some harm trying to be enacted towards the other person, but it's not, you know, if you're going in a fight against somebody that's a professional fighter or someone that's a professional flailer, you have a better shot of winning the fight against the flailer because their actions are just directed every which way. They're flinging their arms about, really doing nothing. We do this when we just start spewing to anyone that will listen. We post on Facebook, we gossip, we leave negative reviews for anybody that didn't treat us the way that we liked. We criticize, we condemn, we complain, we just start spewing nonsense every which way because we are frustrated about this opposition. And so to everyone that is around us, they can see us flailing by what we're saying as a response to our opposition. These are the responses of our flesh. The responses of somebody that doesn't believe 
that the God who created the universe, if we go back six months, we talked about the creation of the world, that everything that exists was created by God, and God is with us. Would we respond differently if we could actually see if we had God right here in flesh, standing right beside us, and we encountered opposition? Would we try to fight back or would we try to run away? Would we feel paralyzed or would we feel like we just need to spew to anyone who would listen? Or would we recognize that we have right by our side someone who is sovereign in control over everything and is working things out for our good? So when we encounter opposition, let me challenge you to be quick to remember that like Jacob, God has promised to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. And so our responses to opposition should reflect this. When we want to fight back and get vengeance on our own, we need to remember that there is God by our side fighting for us. In Romans 12, 9, he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Do not take vengeance on your own, but allow God. His vengeance is much more effective anyway than anything that we could accomplish. And even in this, our desire to fight back is because we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to be hurt. But yet we see from God that he did not allow Laban to harm Jacob. In verse 7 of chapter 31, Jacob says, God did not permit him to harm me. This is the same God that is with you that sees the opposition that you're going up against. And so when your desire is to fight back out of your flesh, let me challenge you to remember that God is the God who will bring justice to unjust situations. When we want to flee, maybe you're more of a fleer than a fighter, let me challenge you to remember and to remember what Paul wrote when he was suffering, when he faced opposition. Rather than fleeing and running away from his circumstances, in Romans 8.28, he writes to the church, and says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So even circumstances that make you just want to get away, if God has not called you to leave, if he, has not, if he is telling you to stay there, remember he is working it out for your good. So often we run away from things that are hard and we miss out on what God is trying to do in our own lives. We want the easy life rather than seeing what God is doing inside of us and the way that he's pruning us. So persevere when he calls you to stay, knowing and believing that he is working it for good. When our response is to freeze and we don't know what to do, remember that we work for the Lord and not for men, and that we can love because he first loved us. The temptation is to feel like others around us define us, and that we are subservient to them and their opinions of us and their opinions define us, the way that they view us define us. And that is not what God says. Even in work environments, in Colossians 3.23, God says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. That ultimately you are not working for others. You are working for God. You are serving Him. And so when the temptation is just to freeze because you don't know how to respond, we can respond like Jacob and just persevere and work hard because we're not doing it for that person. We're doing it for God. We're serving God. And in relationships, when it just feels 
so hard to love somebody back that is bringing opposition into a relationship. We don't love because of our own wonderful, warm-hearted, just beauty of a person that we are. Just from the birth, it was great. Everything was wonderful. No, we love because he first loved us. It is with God's love that we are able to love others. And so in those moments when it is hard to give your love to somebody else, give them God's love. Share the love that God has shown to you with them. It's 1 John 4, 9, that we love because he first loved us. Finally, if you fall into the last camp, if you're a flailer, and your tendency is just to spew whenever things go wrong, remember that God, the creator of the universe, who is with us, in us, is able to provide us with peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, verse 5, Paul says something really interesting that I don't think gets preached very often. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We don't go around saying, okay, show everyone how reasonable you are. This is the opposite of the flailing person, the irrational spewer. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you want to flail and spew and tell everybody about how terrible your situation is just because you want to get it off of your chest, let me challenge you to go to God. Spew to Him. Pray to Him. Ask Him for help and guidance and watch as His peace, which passes all understanding you don't understand, If you've ever been in that situation where you're like, I should be really concerned and just anxious right now, but God's peace has made it so that my heart is calm and I don't understand how this is possible. That's what happens as the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. It protects your heart from emotionally flailing about and roots you and grounds you in Christ and protects your mind with peace. So my challenge overall Be quick to remember that the Lord is by your side. When you face opposition, you can persevere, continuing in integrity, because God is with you. It is not your work out of your own flesh that can do it. It is God with you, who strengthens you with the ability to persevere and to endure with joy. Let's pray.